welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwaneka. Okay, Dr. Hetfield, so we are in week three of our series that we're calling Making Change. So we've been preaching through the book of John for most of this year. We finished that up and we felt that it's important for us to now maybe change gears and speak about something that's so crucial. We believe that to follow Jesus means that you're responding to the grace of God, but you respond in a lifetime where every single facet of my life, my sexuality, my finances, my time, my career, my friendships, my speech, my actions, everything is brought into alignment with the love and grace and truth of Jesus. And therefore we felt that it's time for us to speak maybe about the stewardship of our finances. And uh, what we said is these four elements of stewardship are so important. We put them in these short statements for us to remember. So week one, we spoke about the fact that stress is bad. Often we chase a certain lifestyle going into debt because we are chasing something we're never finding. And week two, we said that less of what is important, unimportant, is actually more. And often we are choked out by discontentment. Today we're going to speak about giving is good, generosity, and next week we'll be speaking about Tomorrow matters, legacy when it comes to our finances. So like we did last week, just to get it into our hearts, I know you guys are waiting for it. You would love to do it once again. We're just gonna say this together, just to get it into our hearts and our minds and our souls. Is that all right? So let's say it together. One, two, three. Stress is bad, less is more. Giving is good, tomorrow matters. Just one more time. Stress is bad, less is more. Giving is good, tomorrow matters. I lie, just one more time. Stress is bad, less is more. Giving is good, tomorrow matters. So giving is good. As the Old Testament prophet Samuel L. Jackson famously said in Jurassic Park when he's about to reset the mainframe, the security mainframe, he said what? Hold on to your butts, people. So I'm going to say hold on to your backside because this is a topic that I think more than many other things get people twisted into knots, emotionally, theologically. And I just want to take this thing right out and say that if we want to follow Jesus with our whole lives, then we need to get into the Bible and see what does it say about generosity and trust that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts today. And I'll give you a practical step you can take at the end. So to do that, we need three things. We need to understand generosity. Secondly, I think we need to plan our generosity. And thirdly, we need to embrace it. What does that look like? We're going to spend the bulk of our time on that first one. So let's jump in. How do we understand biblically generosity? A couple of questions that I think would help us. Things like, why should Christians, and I'm speaking to Christians specifically, if you are not a Christian here this morning and you're looking into the Christian faith, I really trust you're gonna experience something of who Jesus is because that is what Christianity, Christianity is all about Jesus. There's nothing in Christianity as a religion outside of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So before we get to the question then, why do Christians give? Let me give you the counterexample. Why do many Christians don't? Why do they not want to give? And I think two things happen to our hearts very often. The one is that our hearts are hardened by certain things and our hearts get poisoned by other things. 
You know what hardens, I think, the heart of many Christians, especially young people, why they don't give? Is they see greed, hypocrisy, and they see a self-serving heart in the church. They see hypocrisy in the church. So not too long ago, many years ago, uh, in a video that went absolutely viral, the American televangelist Jesse DePlantis, he made an appeal to his ministers. He's this very famous kind of prosperity gospel teacher, and he made an appeal to his followers to say, listen, um, I want us to commit to buy me a brand new Dassault Falcon 7X plane. So he already had his own plane, but he wanted to buy a new one, and this one would go to the tune of 793 million rand. And people were up in arms about this. How can that be something that's genuinely needed for the kingdom of God? Not too long after that, there was a whole story about the uh, nephew of a famous, again, uh, televangelist and and healing minister and someone who would probably self-identify as a prosperity preacher. And this nephew had been with his uncle in ministry for many years. And he came out of that saying, my heart has just been convicted. I'm going to write a book about the story because I can't do this anymore. And he says, one of these quotes from the book, he says, those years were a whirlwind of luxury. $25,000 a night, royal suites in Dubai, tours of the Swiss Alps, shopping sprees in Harrods in London. The pay was great. We flew on our own private Gulfstream and I got to buy custom suits. All I had to do was look spiritual. I think very often these things and many other examples we could mention on local level and international level, we see this hypocrisy and greed and we feel, you know what, that hardens my heart. That hardens my heart to this idea of generosity. I think the thing that also poisons our hearts are bad motivations. What are bad motivations for people that see themselves as Christians to give? Let me give you a couple. I think guilt is one of them. People give because they feel, I have messed up my life. I've messed up my week. I messed up Saturday night here on the strip. And my way of repaying God is to give financially. And if I do that well enough, then I know I will soothe my conscience. So guilt. Obligation. People see the church as almost something like a country club. And I don't want to be you know, a, a member in bad standing, so I just need to pay my fees every now and then so that I can be you know, a, a good upstanding member of the country club. I think social standing for some people, maybe the elder generation, you saw this a lot, that people would feel if I'm a substantial investor, giver to the church, then I should have a greater say than other people who don't give as much. I think one last thing is karma. Christians, as a worldview, we don't believe in karma, but many of us live like we believe in karma because we believe that if we give, God owes us. He blesses us. He's going to help us. He's going to make my business, my marriage, my my kids, my whatever work. And if I don't give faithfully, man, God is going to repay me with so much misfortune in life. These are bad motivations. You know what they do? They poison your heart toward generosity. So what is the answer? If my heart gets hardened by hypocrisy and it gets poisoned by bad motivations, you know what the answer is? The answer is to have your heart exploded by the grace of Jesus. There is no Christianity without Christ. Christianity is not about us doing something first. It's about God doing something finally in Jesus. And then inviting people to say, my kingdom is near. Turn your life around and your thoughts and your mind toward what I have done and align everything to the free grace that you receive in me. I need to have my heart and my poisoned heart just melted by the truth and grace of Jesus. A melted heart can do anything. 
A melted heart can give anything. It can live from instead of for. You see this all over. I've, I've literally got a million examples, but I'll give you just one. Luke 19, you see this effect of not I do first and then God, but God does and I respond. So Luke 19, Jesus enters into Jericho and he sees this, this selfish businessman. We don't know much about him, but we know that much. And he's short as well. So that's, I know the Bible felt to add that in there. And uh, so Zacchaeus is this guy, and long story short, Jesus goes to his house. He's got an appointment with this man, and we're not privy to all of the conversation, but we do know this, that Zacchaeus' heart is absolutely transformed by the grace of God in Jesus. And listen to how he responds to that. Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give away half of my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, son of faith. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Do you see that only God knows the condition of my heart? And he did not wait for him to make some financial statement. And then he said, okay, I think you're a son of Abraham. He said, no, I see the change of your life. And the response that's flowing from it so naturally is that my finances are actually God's finances. What else can I do but respond to the grace of God with everything? Matthew 6, 21, so famously, that's the reason why Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. His point is that the thing that I value the most, I will very naturally have my time and treasures and talents flow into those things. So what he's saying is in the Christian faith, my bank statements, my calendar, and the things that I give myself to, those are theological statements of worship. What do I worship? Worship simply means worship. I'm putting worth into something. So my bank balance is a statement of worship. Next year, July, when you go to the South African Revenue Service on e-filing, see if there's a space where you can work that in. Like, guys, this is a statement of worship to Jesus. I'm sure they would love that. But that is what it is. Where my heart is, my treasure will be. If Jesus has melted my heart, my treasure will be with the things of Jesus. Okay, so that's why, but how much should Christians give? This is where the tire often gets derailed from the road. Now I think, and I can't do this, I'll give you one or two really helpful books. I've been studying this for at least 15 years. And I want to tell you that I think what most Christians get stuck on, even people from outside the Christian faith, is this word that we find in the Old Covenant called the tithe, which simply means a tenth. Now, can I tell you that we need to look at this from the perspective of the Old Covenant, and now that as Christians, we live in the New Covenant. Now, let me show you one or two examples. What was giving like before the law of Moses, before God gave the law through Moses to the people, we see as an example, this is one of those passages that the people would, would marshal to say, this is why Christians are obligated to pay 10% of their money to the church. Genesis 14, Abraham wins this epic battle, and what he does in gratitude is he gives a tenth of his spoils of war to this prophet called Melchizedek. And people will say, ah, you see, Abraham, even before the law, he gave tenth. And therefore, we're all going to do that now. But the issue is, this is not even his income. This, this is the spoils of war of other people. And this is never repeated again. God never commands it. It's never even mentioned. It's this once-off act 
before the law. What about giving under the law? God rescues this people group from Egypt, and then he calls them now a nation state under God called Israel. And he gives them a law, a ceremonial law, a civil law, and a moral law. None of those laws are what Christians live under. We live under the law of grace and the Spirit. But in that time, God said to the Israelites that as part of this legislation they lived under in a covenant, part of that was how you were to handle your finances. And many people say, oh, because the Israelites paid 10% of their money, we as Christians are obligated to pay 10% of our money. The issue is, number one, it wasn't even 10%. It was much more than that. If you listen to one of the commentators, he summarizes the research. He says, Jews were required to provide a Levite's tithe, a festival tithe, a poor tithe, a welfare tithe, a profit-sharing tax, and then an every seventh year land Sabbath and a temple tax. And if you calculate all those things, it comes out to more than 25% of your annual income tax to the theocratic government of Israel. So if you're going to go old covenant, I want to say then you need to start at 25% in any case. But we do not live under the theocratic government of Israel. We are the people of God in the new covenant. Okay. Then some people would say, well, what about after the law? And the passage that usually is used for this is Malachi 3, just before we get to the New Testament. Just because we have this 400-year gap of, of silence before the New Testament, Malachi is usually the one that's going to. And in chapter 3, it has all this very intense language about if you do not bring the tithe of God to the storehouse, you are robbing God. And he's going to repay those who rob him. And that's often like, your, you know, where's the bank details? Let me not, like, I don't want to rob God. Let's pay our tithe. The issue is, once again, is that any Old Testament scholar will tell you that this is an Old Testament prophet speaking to the people of Israel. He is, in a sense, lamenting the fact that as a nation state, they have turned their hearts and their worship away from God. And he's using finances as a way for them to say, turn back in worship to God. So a valid principle for us as Christians to get from this passage is not how much I should give, but the fact that my finances do make a statement about where my heart is. Turn in your whole life at all times in full worship to God. Okay, so what about the New Testament? Many people say, well, the New Testament has got this tithing thing all over the show. Okay, where is that? I'll wait. You're going to find just three, which you're going to really be shocked by is in the 27 books of the New Testament, the word tithe, the concept of tithe is almost never mentioned. There are literally three passages in the New Testament that are usually spoken about, Matthew 23, Luke 18, Hebrews 7. But the issue, once again, if I can summarize a lot of research, I love what this uh, New Testament scholar Andreas Kostenberger says. He says, the problem with all these passages, usually it is speaking, Jesus speaking to Israelites, the Jewish people under the old covenant law, and he is calling them to the fact that God is about to do a new thing. He is going to bring the promises of the old covenant to fulfillment, and I'm calling you to shift your hearts and worship to him. So he says the issue with all these passages is that none of them have their primary focus, their primary purpose is trying to make a point about tithing. They're making points about the people of Israel and God's promises to them. They're making points about people's worship. They're making points about hardening our hearts against God's work. But they are not trying to say something to Christians about tithing. And then you'll find on the letters of Paul and Peter and John and Jude, all these things, you will not find the concept once. So what do we do with that? 
I want us to recognize that, and this is so crucial, I say this in our new partners event every single time. I do not think that there is this religious obligation that hangs over the heads of new covenant Christians to pay a specific percentage of your income to the church. Whoo, everyone said. But what the New Testament is full of is the concept of generosity. You cannot go two pages or four long flicks in your device without getting to the concept of generosity. Generosity and Christianity are synonyms of one another. The more the revelation of God through Jesus Christ grips my heart, the more generous I become in all facets of my life, including my finances. You cannot hold your wallet out of the water when you get baptized, friends, no. Not that anyone has a wallet anymore, but anyway, your iPhone. We cannot do that. No, we saying, Jesus, progressively as I understand what you've made me to be in the Father through your grace, I want that to explode out of my life in every area. Generosity. Again, so many passages, but my favorite, 2 Corinthians 8 to 9. Those two chapters, go and read that and tell me that you are not taken in by how maturely Paul, speaking to a church in Corinth, tells them this is the motivation and the mode of our giving. I'll give you one section, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 8, 7, he says, speaking to the church in Corinth, since you excel in so many ways, in faith, you gifted speakers, you, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love, he says, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Isn't that beautiful? Zero strong arming, zero guilt, zero obligation. He says, as a response to who Jesus is, because you are excelling, you are maturing, you are growing as a church, as a community. And I'm hearing so many beautiful things about the people of Hatfield. And I'm challenging you, Paul says, to also excel in this gracious act of giving. Can I suggest that what Paul, all the New Testament writers are telling us as we move from the old covenant into the new covenant, is that we do not hang our heads around a percentage, but that we move our hearts to a place called generosity. What would it mean to live a generous life in response to the grace of Jesus? What would it mean to live a generous life financially in response to the grace of Jesus? Because if God has extravagantly poured out his grace to us, in Jesus, maybe our finances should be seen as a statement of extravagant worship to God. And can I tell you, extravagance does not have a percentage. There is no percentage that captures extravagant generosity. How many, how much, what's the percentage of God's extravagant giving in the cross of Jesus? I don't know. What, what kind of a question is that? It's like, what, what color is the, the number two? It's a category error. It's brown. <laughs> Must be Pravani. How extravagant was God in Jesus? He was overly extravagant. He, gave, he didn't give some. He gave all that he had. What would a life in response to that look like? I would posit to say it would look extravagantly generous. 
not obligation, not religiosity, not guilt, not karma. Because of who God is in Jesus, extravagant generosity. And if I get stuck on a specific percentage, 10% is the alpha and the omega, I am going to miss what God wants to do in my heart. Listen, friends, if you say, you know, some people feel this way, I've given my 10%, and I do it with gritted teeth. Every time I see that F and B, you know, SMS coming through, I'm like, thank you, God, for blessing the church once again. <laughs> but luckily, that's done now. Now the 90% is mine. Friends, what does that say about the extravagant grace of Jesus in my heart? It's like asking someone, having a serious conversation. I go to Nick or I go to Marinus or I go to Heinrich and I ask them, listen, just for Shay and I, how much self-sacrificial love should I have for my wife? Because I don't want to do too much. You know? I don't want to go like overboard with that kind of stuff. But I see Ephesians 5 says I should have like self-sacrificing love for my wife. How much do you think is like enough? Don't want to like, you know, pull a muscle or something. Would you not be concerned for my faith and my marriage? Because Ephesians 5 says, no, men, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself. For, I was like, whoa, how much do you give everything and then some? So if I'm asking questions like that, how much love, how many Sundays of a month should I be amongst the people of God so that I can keep God happy? How far is too far with my girlfriend sexually before it's an issue for God? How much, hey, um, how much of my finances should I be giving so that I can be seen as okay in the eyes of God? Friends, all those questions are coming from it from the wrong place. I'm not saying how can I sow that because of God in Jesus. Extravagant response. Extravagant obedience. You know what I think the Bible says as to how we give and why we give? I think it's a response to the gospel. It's a response to the grace and the love of Jesus. It's a demonstration of my love for God. If what God has done in history 2,000 years ago is the truth, if my worldview as to why I'm here, why I'm called to do, where I'm going and what my purpose in God is, if that is the case, then I'm going to demonstrate that in acts of love toward God. And thirdly, it's an act of obedience. Jesus says in the book of John, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Simple, sweet. If love has captured my heart, Jesus, what do you want me to do? You've given me finances. How do I steward your finances for you? That is how we do it. I love that a friend of mine, if you say, no, it must be 10%, Joe. That's how I grew up. Then I've ticked the box. It's done. Or maybe you say, I'm just comfortable to give nothing. That's like, never mind 10%. Like, I'm happy with 0%. Can I say that if, if that's your stance toward the local church and how we think about our generosity together, can I posit maybe some things? Maybe you feel that I don't see the local church as something extravagant and beautiful. I don't want to see it succeed and grow and its impact, making something just epic happening in the city. Maybe you say, I've got a consumer mindset. I see the church, not like a family I belong to and a mission I go on, I see it as a service I attend and I swap some cash for it. Maybe... It's an issue of my maturity. I'm saying, I feel deeply challenged by this, God. Will you mature me in my heart? Or maybe, lastly, is you see the church as it's the service of a couple of full-time ministers that will establish the kingdom of God in the city. And I will just be a passenger as the train moves. 
Friends, none of these things represent the heart of God for his church. I've got a friend who, if you told him 10%, and then God's happy, and then you're not, you know, cursed, you're blessed, he would say, don't box me in <laughs> with your rules. I've got a good friend who, him and his wife, they give much more than 10%, much more. And if you told him, no, 10% is the rule, he would say, don't box me in with your legalism. I want to be extravagantly generous. Maybe 10% is just a good self-leadership principle for you. Perfect. Maybe it's much more than 10%. Maybe where you start today is less than 10%. It's not a conversation about rands and cents. It's a conversation about my heart in response to Jesus. Friends, there are people in our church that have got way different socioeconomic realities. If we measure our giving by the rands and the cents, we're going to miss the point. It's not about that. It's about my heart. There's a guy called uh, Robert Latonio. Randy Alcorn speaks of him in his book, The Treasure Principle. I love this story. I've told it before. And he was this, this incredible businessman. He had more than 300 patents to his name. He absolutely revolutionized the world of the earth-moving equipment sphere. Even to this day, almost all the big companies you can think of, they are working on the back of this man. Genius in his field. Very, very affluent as well. God rewarded him so powerfully for his obedience and his faithfulness. And you know what he did? He said, don't box me in with your 10%. He lived a reverse tithe life. He gave 90% of his finances away and he lived off of 10%. Now you can say that's extreme. That's crazy. That's what? Extravagant. Because he said, don't box me in with rules. Maybe it's 3%. Maybe it's 8%. Maybe it's 50%. Maybe it's 100%. I don't know. Come and sleep in the church and it's 100%. Who knows? The carpet's like really soft, guys, if you want to. So to whom then do we give? I want to say that the New Testament does not say ever that this is what you must do, but it says that there are things that should always be in the mix of my giving. And it doesn't say yes to this, no to that. It says all kinds of giving financially is always good. But it does say there is an order in which I give. There's a priority in my heart. So the first place I always give to is my local church. I'm based in my local church. So Galatians 6 and 1 Timothy 5 speaks about the fact that the full-time work of what the church is doing is supported by its people. We are not an organization that has members and, you know, sleeping partners and, and all of that. Like, no, we are an organization filled with a passion project of all the people together. I'm always giving to my local church firstly. That's what we see in the book of Acts chapter 2. People were so you know, devoted to what the church was doing. They said, I want my local church to explode in the city. I want Unite 180 and Shofar and CRC and 3CI and every other Doxero Brooklyn campus, all the Dutch Reformed churches, all the AFM churches, all the other churches, I want them to absolutely explode in the city. Because then we'll see the city change. And if my heart is not that for my local church, man, God says, this is where my heart is. The church is my vehicle for the kingdom, raising up city changes. Secondly, if I've covered that need, whatever that percentage is for you in this season, then the Bible says, then I can give to those in need. Friends, we have a fund in the church called the Hope Fund. And through that, we have been able, over these last three years, we've been able to bless people in this church that have gone through incredibly difficult seasons and times. Can I ask you that if you have your giving covered, commit to have a percentage, again, of your income go to the Hope Fund? And can I also ask to start making it a culture in our church 
that if someone is going in your community group, for instance, through a difficult time, you take the initiative, rally the people, and in a way that is sensitive and honoring, bless them. That literally happened in our community group just this week, and I was so proud of the guys in our group taking responsibility. Galatians 16 says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. When I've covered my giving to the church, I'm always on the lookout to say, whom can I bless? And then lastly, 3 John 5 speaks about the supporting of all these other organizations and role players in the city from the Christian sphere. So if you say, man, I even want to add a third leg of my giving. And again, don't be worried about the amount. For some of you students, where you start with this is saying, this is like 100 rand and 20 rand and 10 rand. I promise you, you can add as many zeros to a principle, you will never deviate from it. But if I keep saying, when I am, when I have, when this, you will never get there. The most generous person that I know was already the most generous student that I know when I was a student. So now I can say, are there other Christian organizations globally or nationally, or in the city that are doing incredible work, I also want to bless them. Amen. Why is it so quiet in here, guys? Like it's, uh, Paula is at least laughing. So it's, last two questions. How do we then plan our generosity? Isaiah 32, eight, listen to this. But generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. I love that language. They're accidentally generous. No one is accidentally generous. I can accidentally give off some money that makes no difference in my life. I can shave off a little bit of what I have, but I don't feel it financially against my body. But people that are generous, once again, we're not speaking about rands and cents, we're speaking about percentages, proportionally. People that are generous, they plan their generosity. There's what Abraham Lincoln's famous statement about if you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. If I fail to plan my giving, I am planning to fail in my giving. It will never happen if I'm not intentional with it. I'm so thankful that I grew up under a student leader in Tim Wimble who was a man who did not have this extravagant salary, but who was always extravagant in the way and intentional in the way that he gave. I would see him and he would literally show me his budget for them as a couple. And he would show me, Joe, this is how I do it. Here is the percentage that we give toward the church and here is our blessing percentage. Every week we are just praying, saying, God, who can we bless? Someone in the church, we're sitting at the coffee shop, I'm just gonna pay those people's bill for them. He literally had this excitement in his heart. I'm not speaking about millions of rands necessarily, but there was this openness to say, I'm intentional with my giving. You know what that led to? As Eugene Peterson says, long obedience in the same direction with Christianity, he's a generous person. He's not accidentally generous. He's not occasionally generous. He plans to be generous. So can I encourage us maybe today? Some would always say proportional, intentional, reliable. That's how he wants to give. Can I encourage you today? Maybe today, it's a day to say, I am going to pick a percentage. What is that for you? Again, students, young people, high schoolers, you can go and ask your parents, listen, can you give me like some pocket money? I want to begin to be an adult. Can you go and sit and say, what is that percentage for you? And for some of you, today you need to start with 2%, 3%, 7%. Some of you, that 10% thing has worked and it's tried and tested and it's awesome. Keep doing that. For some of you, you know that 10% is not generous for me. I just know it. I can easily give 10%, but it's not generous. 
Can I ask you to go and sit? Shay and I sit with our budget yearly and we ask this question, what would be generous? Tim and his wife would always say, we want to increase our percentage as much as we can over life. It's not what do I have to give, what's extravagantly generous. Finally, can we embrace generosity? Philemon 1.4, it says, I always thank God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? He's not saying, if you act, then God will. He says, I have heard of your faith in Christ. And in response to that, I want to encourage you, embrace a life of generosity. Friends, you can sit here today as a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, welcome to Doxter Hatfield, and you're sitting into like an internal family conversation today. But you can sit here and feel stirred. You can feel faith-filled. You can say, man, I'm ready. I'm excited. I'm going to be a, a consistent and a proportional and an extravagant giver, and then do absolutely nothing about it. How many people hear from the doctors, you have to stop smoking? Yes, doctor, that's like stressing me out, even as I'm hearing that. How many doctors smoke? Because there's a massive difference, and how many things do I do that I know is stupid for me? It's not helpful to me, and I still do it, because there's a massive difference between knowing something and knowing something. So can I encourage you today that you would embrace generosity practically? What does that look like to you? Can I just give you a thought as we close, that Dr. Deo, as... We're about 34 campuses around the country and the city and the world. And we have about, I think it's close to 20,000 people that would see themselves as partners of Doxadeo. It's not people attending, people who say, this is my church, this is my home. Do you know that just electronic giving, which has basically become the de facto way of giving after COVID, that about four and a half thousand people consistently give every month toward the dream of Doxadeo. So everything we're doing, the schools, the campuses, the upliftment programs, everything we're doing, of the 20,000 people who say, this is my home, not the people who attend just on a Sunday, about four and a half thousand of them give anything toward what we're doing together. Can I just say, can you imagine with me if that became 6,000, 8,000, 10,000? What if that became 20,000 people globally? Everyone's been entrusted with different things. It's not the amounts but who's saying, man, I believe in what Jesus is doing through his church. I believe that we can bring faith, love, and hope to the city. I believe that if every church swelled and, and broke its barriers and started serving together in the city, we would see it transformed by the grace of Jesus. Can you imagine that with me? To do that, imagine it firstly in your own life. Paul says, closing, 2 Corinthians 8.2. He speaks about this church in Corinth, and he says, man, you're probably thinking that Corinthian church, they were just loaded. That's their thing. That's why they were so generous. They were just a bunch of absolutely gifted people financially. Well, actually, Paul says, this church that I so love, they are being tested by many troubles. Lots of difficult things happening in that season, and they are very poor, actually. But they are also filled with abundant joy which has overflowed in rich generosity. <laughs> this is the kind of church that I want to be. This is the kind of Christian that I want to be. 
God, whatever you've entrusted me with, I want it to flow from a place of joy, overflow in rich generosity because of Jesus. I'm going to ask, can I maybe just have my phone there, Shazabli? Thank you. So to our partners, I'm going to post literally on the group um, a link for you. And I'm going to ask you to go and consider, to say, you know what, I've never taken a first step in generosity. Once again, if you're a guest with us, you can relax. But for us, as the people that call this church our home, you'll see on our website there's a, a giving page, and it gives you every option under the sun. Debit orders, snap scan, bank details. If you want to, you know, pigeon send it to us with a something. Um, it's all there. But I want to ask you to seriously go and pray and say, God, what would generosity look like for me? So our partners, I've given you the link. Go and pray, and let's be a church that overflows with joyous generosity. Amen? Stress is bad. Less is more. Giving is good. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that this morning you would take away any sense of condemnation or guilt, any sense of religiosity, but that we would just be struck once again by the lavish generosity and grace of God. God, may we become a church that is so overflowing with the joy of Jesus that we would become radical, extravagant, over the top in the way that we care for one another and the way that we invest in Christian organizations in the city and in the way that we trust what you are doing in and through your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, Amen.